Welcome to Making Footprints, Not Blueprints, a regular podcast about matters philosophical and religious. My name is Andrew James Brown, and despite being myself an atheistically inclined free thinker, I'm also the minister to the Unitarian Church in the city of Cambridge, UK. The title of this podcast is borrowed from the philosopher Herbert Fingeret, who, in his book, The Self in Transformation, offered us studies that were outcomes rather than realised objectives, which were offered to the reader as an encouragement to make intellectual footprints, not blueprints. This podcast tries to proceed in a similar fashion and takes seriously an insight of the poet A.R. Ammons, who felt that true human freedom only comes when we have understood that full scope always eludes our grasp, that there is no finality of vision, that we have perceived nothing completely, and that, therefore, and thankfully, tomorrow a new walk is a new walk. Welcome to this week's New Walk. was must be tested. Some positive Christian atheist reflections on the seasons of Advent and Christmas. One of the things that has often struck me as being odd about the season of Advent, a word which simply means to come, is the fact that the coming for which we and the cast of familiar Christmas characters are waiting, namely the birth of Jesus, is now 2,000 years behind us. I say that those waiting are to us familiar characters, but is this true anymore? I fear not. So, lest there be any doubt, let me list them now. In addition to the baby Jesus, they are his stepfather Joseph and his mother Mary, Mary's cousin Elizabeth and her priest husband Zachariah, the so-called three kings, though they are more properly to be called magi, wise men from the east, assorted shepherds and angels, and, of course, the villain of the story, King Herod. To this, thanks especially to once traditional nativity scenes and plays, we must also add the odd ox and donkey. It would be unfair and remiss of me here not to point out that in orthodox readings of Christianity, the oddity of which I have just spoken is avoided by claiming that, in our own age, rehearsing the ancient story of waiting for the coming of Jesus helps us better to wait for the second coming of Jesus, that is to say, the Christ of Christianity. However, if, like me, this idea is utterly implausible, then we are left with the need to do something with the oddity, that the coming we are waiting for during this season does indeed seem to be a very, very long way behind us. Given this, if Advent and Christmas is all only about a long past and an almost certainly mythical account of waiting for the coming birth of Jesus, then why on earth do we keep returning to these ancient stories in our post-Christendom age? Of course, often the answer is simply that we return to them for merely sentimental psychological reasons, which additionally help us pretend that the festive winter season is something more than simply an excuse to engage in a period of -of out-of-control, self-medicating consumption, 
the beginning of which is now marked by the relatively new anti-festival called Black Friday. But might there be another more serious reason to return to these stories? One which senses that within them there remains something undischarged, which continues truly to speak, albeit in an untraditional way, about a genuinely possible better human future which may still be coming. Something that has long been of great help to me in thinking through and tentatively answering these questions is a book first published in 1972 by the 20th century German Marxist philosopher Ernst Bloch. He was born in 1885 and died in 1977. It's called Atheism in Christianity, and in it he wrote the following. Quote, What was must be tested. It does not hold good of itself, however familiar, for it lies behind us. It holds good only so far as the where-to continues to live before us in the thing itself. If the link binding backwards is false, it must be cut, all the more so if it was never true, but simply a shackle. Unquote. Bloch's words clearly suggest that when it comes to the ancient stories of the Bible, such as the ones we tell at Advent and Christmas, one vital thing we must ascertain before we are tempted finally to cut the links that bind us to them is to ask what undischarged where to might still be found in them. He felt that the Bible contains within it a major strand which again and again encourages us not to go back the way we came, but instead to follow the path of our own free choice. This is, of course, to become heretics, because, remember, the word heresy simply means choice or thing chosen. Indeed, one of the most famous quotes found in the book is Bloch's claim that, quote, the best thing about religion is that it makes for heretics. Unquote. To illustrate this following the path of our own free choice, Bloch uses the Old Testament example of Ruth. But we can see that the Advent and Christmas stories do something similar. You will recall that, after finding Jesus and giving him their gifts of frankincense, myrrh and gold, the Magi return home by a different route. In doing this, they freely choose not to acquiesce to Herod's demand to let him know where Jesus was to be found so he could kill the child whom he believed would become a threat to his kingly power. You will also recall that neither do Mary and Joseph return to their home in Nazareth by the same route, but instead flee with Jesus to Egypt as refugees. In both these cases, we see a free if always extremely challenging and stressful choice being made by people who wish to affirm a way of being in the world which is characterised not by the oppressive strength and power wielded by Rome or someone like King Herod, but by what St Paul and certain much later philosophers and theologians call the weakness of God, a type of positive and creative weakness the strength of which is, of course, epitomised by both the vulnerable newborn Jesus and the just and loving form of life he later encouraged in adulthood. 
Bloch next points to Jesus and suggests that, like Ruth, quote, Jesus' goodness is also closely tied to his ability to strike off at a singularly sharp angle away from tradition. Unquote. In Jesus' case, this is, of course, to strike off heretically from the traditions of the Orthodox Judaism of his own time. Bloch goes on to suggest that, analogously, our own goodness is closely tied to our ability to do something similar and to strike off at a singularly sharp and heretical angle away from the orthodoxies of our own present-day religious traditions, which, for most of the members of the Cambridge Unitarian Church where I am minister, and wider British and American culture in general, despite its secularity, is Christianity. That the Bible, and within it Jesus, may be saying something like this, may come as a surprise, even a shock, to some people. But as Bloch says elsewhere in his book, quote, There is only this point, that the Church and the Bible are not one and the same. The Bible has always been the Church's bad conscience. Unquote. And although this book has often been used as a cattle prod by the powerful, it is vital to recall that, quote, the counter-blow against the oppressor is biblical too, and that is why the Bible has always been suppressed or distorted from the serpent on, unquote. In Bloch's mind, then, the Bible has always been the book in which ordinary people, those who throughout history have found themselves oppressed by church or state, have most readily and easily been able to hear the call to freedom from oppression, a call most tersely expressed in Exodus, when Moses and Aaron say to Pharaoh, Let my people go. Citing the radical 16th century German reformer Thomas Munzer, Bloch says that this call to freedom rang out to all the oppressed without difference or distinction of race or faith. Thanks to a careful, non-traditional and atheistical reader like Bloch, it is possible to begin to sense that in the stories we tell each other at Advent and Christmas, we are helped, without difference or distinction of race or faith, to hear again this perennial call to freedom and to strike off at a singularly sharp and heretical angle away from all those aspects of our religious traditions which are shackling us to what are now showing up as unhelpful and perhaps also false beliefs and practices. This world of creative new possibilities that beckons is the where-to that Bloch, and someone like me, thinks continues to tremble, undischarged, in the Advent and Christmas stories, and indeed in the biblical text as a whole. As the title of Bloch's book, Atheism in Christianity, suggests, very importantly, and for many people completely counterintuitively, this striking off at a singularly sharp, heretical angle from tradition also begins to lead into a way of being in the world that no longer requires us to believe that we are ruled over by a supernatural 
and often judgmental and vindictive God. This is why Bloch can say, in another well-known quote taken from the book, that, quote, only an atheist can be a good Christian. Only a Christian can be a good atheist, unquote. Be that as it may, in the whereto envisaged here, the word God is understood to represent something that can only be known by us in the actual, this-worldly acts of genuine love and justice we show to those whom we meet, whether neighbour or enemy, on the journey of life. As the contemporary French Catholic theologian and philosopher, Emmanuel Falk, wisely reminds us all, we have no other experience of God but the human experience. Although it is obvious that any journey towards this kind of where-to is highly likely to take us away from our former religious Judeo-Christian traditions at a singularly sharp and heretical angle, at the same time, I do not think that this also requires us to throw away the Bible. In fact, far, far from it. Because whenever we take it seriously in the way a thinker like Bloch insists we should, we will always have access to a powerful and inspiring, liberating call to a life of radical, ethical action in favour of uplifting and honouring the weak, marginalised, poor and dispossessed, which in this season is paradigmatically symbolised in the moment the Magi, the so-called Three Kings, with their gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh, bow down to honour the humble, poor and soon-to-be refugee family of Mary, Joseph and the baby Jesus. Many of you will recall that this message of a world turned upside down is explicitly found in the Advent stories in the words of the Magnificat uttered by Jesus' mother Mary during her visit to Zachariah and Elizabeth sometime before Jesus' birth. In those words, Mary insists that, through her still unborn child, God, her ultimate concern, has worked power with his arm. He has scattered those who are arrogant in the thoughts of their hearts. He has pulled dynasts down from thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Consequently, I trust that during this Advent season, at least some of us will take the time to ponder again this ancient yet still modern call, and so begin to prepare well for the liberating, democratising and really real levelling up work that is always to be done if we are to stand a chance of moving closer to the where-to that, without difference or distinction of race or faith, will always be trembling, undischarged, in every newborn child. And that brings us to the end of this edition of the Making Footprints, Not Blueprints podcast. So, farewell for now, and remember, tomorrow a new walk is a new walk. See you on the path.
Thank you again for listening to the Making Footprints, Not Blueprints podcast. If you haven't yet, please subscribe and each new podcast will arrive on your device as soon as it is released. Also, if you'd like to continue in the conversation, please come along to our live online discussions which take place every other Wednesday evening at 7.30pm GMT. Anyone is invited to ask questions or make comments on the issues discussed in the podcast. You can find the link to join the Zoom meeting in the episode notes. We look forward to talking with you then.